As the world begins to emerge from the cave of the 21st century and opens its eyes onto the suffering from centuries of injustice and the bastardization of what it means to be free, the new Nomos podcast is a call. A call for a new beginning. A call for the new men and the new women that yearn to be truly free. A call for us to fulfill our destiny. A call for a new Nomos on the earth. Welcome to the New Nomos Podcast. I'm Abdallah Dutton, inviting you to join me on this journey of discovery to define what the New Nomos is and what we need to get there. Before I introduce this episode, I just want to say how grateful I am for everyone that's tuning in and listening to this podcast. I'm really getting the most amazing feedback and I can feel the listenership growing. So thank you. I'm so grateful for everyone listening and especially those passing on the show. Since starting this journey, I've noticed a distinct change in my sensory perception, primarily podcasting, it's my auditory faculties. I've noticed how they've improved from interviewing people, having to relearn how to listen in the conversation, and then listening to each episode again and again and again during the edit. But also, uh, slightly more indirectly linked to the podcast, having become a non-smoker after 17 years of smoking, I've noticed that I'm starting to smell subtle sense that I couldn't smell a couple of months ago. So when I found myself sitting next to Ikramadine Tswane, a self-taught perfumer based in Johannesburg, South Africa, I had to ask him for an episode for this journey exploring the world of scent, the science of olfaction, and the art of perfumery. So, without much further ado, I present to you episode 19. What the Nose Knows, The Art of Perfumery, Scent, and Inspiration. What I used to do, uh, I'd get perfume oils every now and then, just for fun, and just mix them without knowing anything, you know. I'd just have uh, something that came from inside telling me, okay, mix so much with so much, and then let it sit and see what happens, you know. And then you smell it and you realize, oh my God, this is so beautiful. <laughs> In fact, one of the times I made a perfume, I mean, I took two oils, Two nice smelling oils. I mixed them together and I used them. It was a Cambodian oud and another uh, perfume from an Arabian house called uh, Al Burak. I liked the smell, but something about it was too sweet. And I had this oud, which was very fecal smelling. Fecal in the sense of animal with woods and with a touch of fruitiness. And something said, uh, maybe if I take this oud and mix it with this uh, other oil, I get something beautiful. So I just mix them in 50-50 ratio. You know, 50% of the oud and 50% of this uh, burak. I mix them together. I put it on. It was beautiful. And I let time go. A few months passed and it became like really, really beautiful. So I was in Morocco and I had it on. I was driving on uh, back to my hotel in Marrakesh in the Jamal Fana. Mm. And the taxi driver 
he just went crazy for this perfume, you know. What are you wearing? What is this? I said, you know, <laughs> this is a Cambodian oud with another perfume that I mix myself. He said, oh, I really like it so much, you know. And I said, yeah, Bismillah, I gave it to him. And the man didn't want to take it, you know. Mm. You know, he felt so ashamed, you know, that, uh, no, 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 I'm feeling guilty that, you know. I said, no, 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 it's Bismillah, it's for you. It was made for you, you know. Mm. I didn't know it was for you, but it's for you. And he was so thankful. Amazing. And I left it there. Did he make you pay for the... Taxi fare. Uh, obviously, I have to pay for the taxi fare. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. He wasn't expecting to get a perfume. Yeah, so that was uh, really, I think that was the thing that triggered subconsciously mm. this, this interest in actually pursuing perfumery uh, deeper. But that didn't manifest until uh, I think around four years later. Just this desire came from inside to start, you know, making perfumes for myself because I wanted something that wasn't commercial. That was only uniquely mine, but I didn't know how to make perfume. I only knew how to take existing perfume oils and mix them. But I didn't know the actual art of actually taking raw materials to make perfume. How did you then learn more about perfumery? Okay, so I mean, this desire just came from me to learn more about perfumery, but there was there was no books because it's very secretive, the world of perfumery. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a big market, Yeah. basically. Yeah. People are making a lot, a lot of money. But I wanted it for myself to have my own unique smells. But there were no books to find out where to uh, make, how to make perfume and what to use. I didn't know. And then a few days afterwards, I found on YouTube a guy called Peter, based in the UK, showing how to make perfume because he was also in a quest to learn perfume. Mm. So I don't know where he learned from, but he got from one book that was written by somebody who I can't remember on how to make perfume, but it was really basic. They didn't really teach you the sciences. Mm. So then he started making his own perfumes and he realized, okay, he's got a bit of a talent. He's not so good, but he's got a, a bit of a talent. Then he decided to make a video and put it on YouTube. It was the only perfumery video on YouTube. Oh, wow. So I watched it and I said, oh, okay. So to make perfume, you use essential oils. You mix them and you get a perfume. I said, ah, okay. That was the base. I, I didn't know. He didn't go deep into it. Mm. So basically I went out, I started uh, buying essential oils, a lot of them, all natural. And I mixed them together and I made my first perfume based on my own instinct. Yeah. So um, what I did, I started experimenting with uh essential oils and making several perfumes. I mean, I would spend eight hours a day just mixing oils. Just trial and error. Trial and error. But the first perfume that I made was so good. Yeah. And I still have it today. I won't release it yeah. in my brand, but I still have it today to remind me because scent has a connection with memory. Ah, uh, of yes. course. So basically I, I just started mixing oils and uh, essential oils and in that you start to develop the ability to make perfume because it's a skill it's putting in the hours and then you start figuring out things okay when i mix this oil with that oil this is what happens and that goes into your memory that stores into your olfactory inventory so to speak wow so basically i use uh, essential oils that you get at uh, health stores but they weren't artisanal oils Artisanal is oils that are at the highest level. I mean, the highest level that you can find. Right.
95% of perfumery that exists is very commercial. However, there is 5% of artisanal perfumers who say, no, we want to get to the heart of perfumery. We want to make perfumes, not just for, uh, that are not these commercial perfumes. We want to make perfumes that we want to make, you know. We want people to, when we say we have rose, we want it to be a real rose, not a synthetic replacement of rose. So those perfumers go into the heart of the matter and extract these raw materials. What I'm starting to see is, I want to say almost like a conflict yes. so between yes. the highest levels of perfumery yes. and what is available to most people today. And what I'm seeing is all, it, right from the get-go, <laughs> you've got this, I suppose yes. it would be a kind of disconnect yes. between what the perfumer is able to create, create yes 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 and whether that is commercially viable yes and the fact that the two things don't necessarily go hand in hand depending on what the perfumer's intention is i mean if i'm wanting to buy a new perfume yes yes i'll either be in a mall mm -hmm. at, a, at a big department store okay. trying the perfumes yes. or the number one time you're in an airport, you've got three hours to go, yeah. and you go and wreak havoc on all of the perfumes there yes, and yes. spray every single one of them on you so that you're just one big, massive yes. concoction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's my experience of perfumes. Perfume. Yeah. But I'm assuming that yeah. still, I mean, just the fact that they're there yeah. means that they are the product of commercial viability. Yeah, obviously. Where's the rest of the spectrum? Okay, before I get that, uh... I have to say there's, there's three levels of perfumery. There's what you call designer perfumes. Those are perfumes that are made by known brands, you know, big brands like uh, Tom Ford, uh, Dior. Basically, what that means is, is that these people are, are designers, you know, they design clothes or they have other primary uh, goods that they sell, right? Perfumery is a side thing that they do, you know, just to generate extra income, you know. Yeah. And also, you know, clothes and perfume go together. So that's what's traditionally known as designer brands, is that these, these brands basically don't uh, use perfumery as their primary business. It's not. It's just a side thing that they do, okay? That's the first level of perfumery. Now, those perfumes tend to be more, um, they're very good perfume. I have uh, designer perfumes as well. I wear them. I mean, uh, if a perfume smells good and I like it, I'll buy it, you know. Yeah. But most of those perfumes are synthetic perfumes in that they don't use real raw materials. If they do use real raw materials, it's about 10 to 20% at most. And then you get the second level, which is niche perfumes. Now, niche basically means that the brand specializes in perfumery. Which would be like Serge Lutin. Serge Lutin. Okay. He does perfumery. That's the primary uh, business of Serge Lutin is to make perfumes but then if he wants to do candles that's a secondary thing but the primary thing is perfumery so that's niche perfumes however a designer brand like Tom Ford can have a collection of perfumes which are niche perfumes and right. which he does have which is called uh, the private collection right where he commissions perfumers to make perfumes specifically for him right for his perfume brand yeah. Okay. But traditionally, niche house specializes in making perfumes. Now, the third one is called artisanal perfumery. Mm -hmm. An artisanal perfumer is basically a niche perfumer, right? However, he uses raw materials 
that are at the highest level, the most expensive raw materials. Earlier, I mentioned that the, there's uh, two ways of perfumery, right? There's the traditional way and there's the non-traditional way, which is what I follow. Traditionally means to be a perfumer, you have to go to a perfume school and you learn to be a perfumer. That's the traditional way that most of the perfumers and master perfumers have gone. They go through a perfumery school and they are taught perfumery for a certain amount of years, maybe four, maybe five, I'm not sure. And then from there, you're now a qualified perfumer. You can either start your own perfumery uh, house or work for a brand. Okay, so this is the traditional way. This is a traditional way. You learn perfumery through going to school, just like university, and then you graduate. And now you're a graduate in your science, in your field that you follow. Mm. That's a traditional way. And the non-traditional way? Non-traditional way basically is you've got a gift inside of you. You find out from yourself how to make perfumes. You start mixing things and you realize, oh, okay, this smells good. And they say, hmm, I need to expand my knowledge. So let me see if there's any books that have, uh, you know, tips for me and how to mix perfumes, how to make several tricks, you know, with perfumery. And then you follow that route and you just learn basically by yourself. But that's a very, uh, you can see where we're getting with this, you know, it's not most people can do that. That's mostly based on having a, a talent. And a strong desire. And a strong desire to know perfumery. So you have to be really diligent put in the hours and then you have to break certain norms because uh, the people who have been taught traditionally have a certain way of doing things. It's very systematic. Mm. So that's why you'll find most of the perfumes that are out there will smell similar. Although they're different, you know, if you smell one perfume from Dior, you'll have maybe another one from uh, Clive Christian that smells very similar to this one. It's because they have a certain pattern that they follow, you know, method and certain rules that they don't break. But with a traditional perfumer, he breaks the rules. Non-traditional perfumer, sorry, he breaks the rules. For instance, I'll give you this. Uh, there's a perfume called uh, a Chypre. Chypre means it's a perfume basically that has as a top note uh, a citrus raw material. And then in, in the mid notes, it would have uh, labdanum. And in the base notes, it would have uh, oak moss. Oak moss is... is uh, it's taken from the oak tree. It's moss that grows from the oak tree and that's extracted to take the scent. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's a traditional way of making a sheeper. But the non-traditional perfumer will say, okay, fine. I'll take the structure of the sheeper. I'll put uh, bergamot at the top, labdanum in the middle of the perfume, and I'll put uh, oak moss at the base. However, I want mine to smell fruity. So I'll make it a fruity sheeper. Mm. So I'll add other things that take it away from being dry, moving away from the traditional way of making a sheep. You're talking about traditional and non-traditional, and it makes me, it's making me think of basically how advances are made when you're able to think outside of the, the box. box. Exactly. If everyone's just following the same path and the same traditional route of learning, it doesn't really open the space for innovation yes right yes. because like i mean if you want to like, even with the whole kind of tech world yes yes yes, yes. you know yeah. if the, the the superstars in the tech world are all young yes because their minds have not been solidified yet so yes. they can still think outside the box outside the box yes and that's where they come up with the ideal startup or the, the kind of perfect startup and boom they smash yes. it and they become a unicorn or whatever the terminology is yes. so i'm thinking that in the world of perfumes it's exactly the same right it's the same thing 
and there's a difference because uh the tra- i mean we need traditional uh traditionally uh taught perfumers obviously yeah uh, we're not against that it's not like there's a battle between these ones non-traditionalists mm-hmm. and the traditionalists no i mean it's all to uh take forward uh perfumery however traditional perfumers have a certain way that they don't go out of but we non-traditional we we, we break the rules so we come up with something new and dynamic i'm thinking now like what surely the end product is also very a very subjective yes. product because yes. yeah of course perfume is i might love this smell and somebody else might not love it i mean case in point i had a scent that i wore while zahra was pregnant yes and she just yeah. whatever it was in that yeah. scent when yeah. she was pregnant she couldn't take it and yeah. now i can't wear it at home because whatever it triggered in her yes. while she was pregnant making her want to vomit or whatever it is mm. like that's it she it keeps it keeps pulling that thing that back memory. from her memory and i guess it's very similar to art where you can have a painting like that one for example that's was a beautiful painted painting. Yeah, that's, that's my nice grandmother's one. garden oh wow uh that her friend painted that tree yeah 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 Oh really? Yeah. And so when my grandmother ah, died, yeah, yeah, I asked if I could have that painting because it just that was that's how I remember my grandma. So, I remember yeah. my grandma in that yeah, house. Amazing. It means something to me, yes. even though it may not be the greatest of paintings. Yes, yes, but it has meaning to you. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, again, art is highly subjective, yes. and I, I'm, you know, whatever comes out the as you, the end product, some subjective. people might love it, and some people might hate it. Whatever yeah. the price tag. Exactly. Yeah, but that's the thing also, because the price tag, the, the more the perfume costs, doesn't really mean that it smells better, like mm. you said, because it's subjective. Also, a perfume may smell different or new when you put it on uh, to somebody else. And the uh, same perfume will smell different on a woman as opposed to a man. Why is that? Uh, it's, uh, it's called uh, skin chemistry. Yeah, because some people have more oil in their bodies than others, you know, less oil and uh, different temperatures and all these things. It's just uh, chemical things that uh, happen in the body that alter the way a perfume smells. Because that's another thing as well. If you want to get a true uh, scent of a perfume, you spray it on what you call test strips, which are like pieces of very light cardboard that you spray the perfume on and then you smell it. When you smell it, you smell it as it really is. Because there's no reaction, no chemical reaction there. But the moment you spray it on your skin, it will smell different. Like I was saying to you earlier, there is one perfume. Yes. Patchouli Absolute yeah. by Tom Ford in his private collection. Yeah. That if I spray that on me and I go and I run a marathon and I sit in my car yeah, in yeah. the heart of summer with the windows closed yeah. and I'm sweating and I should be stinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but right? In all other in, in every other case I would be stinking. Yeah. But with that perfume on, it I don't know what it does, but somehow it like links onto every single stink smell of mine <laughs> and just makes it smell nice. Yeah, yeah. And I've tested this. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just like it's my perfume. So if anyone's listening wants to buy me a perfume Please, Patchouli Absolute by Tom Ford. (laughs) (laughs) This artisanal world world of perfumery is particularly interesting to me because that's where it's an art form. They're all art forms. However, um, the artisanal is less commercial. Obviously, I mean, we're perfumers. It's a business. We must sell our perfumes. Mm. However, the driving force behind it is not pushing numbers. It's actually making perfumes 
from real raw, raw materials and perfumes that we like ourselves that we want other people to appreciate you mentioned about the raw materials yes and i went hunting in botswana yeah and we shot a springbok and i remember going up to the springbok and having this amazing smell and they told me that the springbok the male i think it's only the male i'm not sure i can't remember they have a, a gland that's similar to the musk deer yes that has this scent yes. so you when you yeah. get there to the to the carcass or whatever it is mm. and it, it doesn't last long maybe oh, okay. like a couple of minutes yes. and then it's kind of released yeah. but whatever it is that those pheromones that they release has this beautiful smell mm. but again like i said in five minutes it's gone, it's gone yeah. how the hell do you extract that smell it's like what is it that's smelling yeah um in the case of the springbuck springbuck i wouldn't know but then i know about the deer musk yeah okay so in that case okay real musk which is deer musk which comes from the musk deer mm -hmm. it comes from a, a sack in the urinary uh it's a like a urinary gland it's a sack all right and out of the sack there are these little uh sort of like pods pellets you can call them they're black pellets inside right. the sack that when uh a musk deer uses to when a musk deer uh urinates on its territory to mark its territory uh, something a chemical reaction happens between these black little pellets yeah. and the urine to mark the territory and it's also used in mating okay so is it just the male it's the male yes okay. it's the male so now uh these black pellets are what's called musk that's what musk is when you speak about real real musk okay they're black pellets that basically um uh the hunters who hunt these musk deer unfortunately that's the only way to get this musk yeah the musk sacks are sold to perfumers now a perfumer would take the sack which is dried obviously the animal has died so you split the sack the musk pod actually it's called not a sack it's a pod and inside this pod you get these black pellets which are musks musk grains and then you take those and you 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 do what's called tincture tincture is a process of extracting uh, a scent from a raw material mm. so, so now you take these musk uh, grains and you put them into perfumers alcohol and then you let them mature for a year right. and then the alcohol absorbs the smell of the musk grains so that's how you get musk but traditionally they use sandalwood oil okay so that's one example a pod inside the urinary system yes. or whatever you want to call it of the musk deer and then you have i know another extremely expensive material is ambergris yes which is the vomit of a sperm whale right well that's the that's the basic understanding of it but it's not actually vomit okay so what is it basically you understand how uh an oyster produces pearls no sand gets into the oyster through the shell into the oyster the actual uh the actual the mollusk the animal the oyster itself yeah. and it causes an irritation and so the oyster produces this mucus which surrounds this uh so whatever uh bio material that gets into mm. the oyster and so this uh this uh membrane solidifies over time and then you get a pearl Wow. And then a hunter would know which uh, oyster to to get in order to 
extract the pearl. Yes. So ambergris also works in that same uh, similar fashion in that the sperm whale, you can only get ambergris from a sperm whale. That's the only whale that produces uh, ambergris. Right. It uh, eats cuttlefish. Right. And cuttlefish has little beaks. Okay. And it eats other things which cause an irritation because uh, the whale cannot digest these beaks of cuttlefish. Okay. And so in the intestines, it uh, produces a mucus which surrounds these beaks. And that gets bigger and bigger, it begins to solidify and become what's called ambergris. So now the whale can't have this ambergris inside of itself. It must come out somehow. Right. So it's expelled through vomit oh. or through feces. Okay. So when they say it's whale vomit, it's not really whale vomit. It's this uh, cuttlefish beaks. They got covered in a layer of membrane of mucus and then it solidified to form this sort of like uh, waxy substance which is solid yeah. almost like a stone but not as hard mm-hmm. and that's expelled through vomit or the feces uh, right now when it comes out it stinks okay yeah because i mean it's been in the inside of the whale it stinks yeah so the ocean air with the salt of the ocean and the sunlight causes chemical reactions wow <laughs> and over months and years this mass now starts to change and it becomes fragrant and then it washes off into the beach somewhere and somebody picks it up recognizes it for ambergris and they sell it for thousands of dollars to a few million depending on the size right so that's one way of getting ambergris that it's, it's washed up onto the the beach right mm-hmm. The other way is that hunters sometimes hunt whales, unfortunately, and inside the whale they find this ambergris. But that grade of ambergris is not as good as the one that's uh, extracted. Uh, because uh, it hasn't been mixed by the ocean. Exactly. That's the thing, you see. And then the third raw material that I wanted to touch on, because it's, again, it's we know it's so expensive, is the oud. Yes. Which is, if I'm not mistaken, isn't the oud itself the tree's response to a wound yes Yes, to a wound that's caused by insects or some sort of trauma that happens to the bark of the tree for instance if you hit it with a if you stab the tree with a knife it releases this resin to protect the tree from dying and so this oil gets extracted to cover the wound and this oil is 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 uh is what we call oud but oud in arabic means wood basically Okay. But then in perfumery, oud means this particular tree, which is called Sinensis aquilaria. Right. It's a special tree that grows in Indonesia, uh, I mean, China, Borneo, you know, Thailand, mm-hmm. those regions. And this tree releases this fragrant uh, sap, or not sap, liquid called oud. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then it's... Uh, when I say sap, I mean, it doesn't leak out like, uh, like for instance, a pine tree, you know, you see sap coming out, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of a sap, but then it solidifies, yeah. okay, onto the bark. And so what would happen is that people that hunt uh, oud, hunters, would see the tree and they would cut the part, the injured part of the tree, okay. Yeah. And they take that and they would distill it. They cook it using what's called a sill. Right. They basically boil it. Yeah. And they call it cooking, cooking the wood, cooking the wood. And from cooking it with a steam, mixing with a cold, it uh, releases uh, oil mixed in water. And then it hits against uh, one of the uh, channels of this alembic sill. Yeah. 
and then the water separates from the oil and then the distiller just uh extracts the oil fascinating so that's oud and now oud in the in the west is a very new uh, raw material and people didn't like it because they said it smelled uh fecal like i said and uh, i mean fecal when i say fecal we mean like a, a horse barnyard you often hear people saying uh oud smells barnyardy but not oud or not all oud is like that there are ouds that smell like flowers others that smell like the ocean yeah. others that smell like fruits like camel there's some out of all uh, of the our perfumery world the oud uh, raw material is the most diverse <sighs> basically it's like all the other raw materials that you can find in a tree something that came out of the last episode or one of the episode on well a number of episodes actually is in the ma'alusri as well and it's like and it's almost like through the difficulty of the sperm whale eating this yes this thing that the body's irritated with it yes. and from the 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 injury of the tree it, produ- it produces this thing which has this beautiful scent and it's like this beauty that comes out of the hardship of the the animal or the tree yes or even the death of the musk deer yes and somehow i mean just the way i'm seeing it is there's like this like the perfection of Allah's creation Allah Akbar. Yeah. in this scent yes and it's just making me think now of the the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam where he said that the three things that he loves most are women perfume or, or beautiful perfume yes. and the coolness of the iron prayer and the prayer that's right no yes now um another thing when you say it, uh, the beauty of Allah's creation you talk about after difficulty there's ease in my journey of perfumery i realized the beauty of Allah's creation the majesty in smelling all these raw materials mm-hmm. you 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 smell i mean uh, you know the favors which of the favors of your lord will you deny wow i get all these meanings from working with perfume because you see allah you can't de- deny his existence just from smelling all these different raw materials you know and how he's inspired people to even think that i can take this and extract the smell out of it it's all inspiration from mm. allah now uh, with the message of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam saying uh, from your world i like three things women perfume and uh the coolness of my eyes is in the prayer yeah the scholars that actually give uh, an explanation of why he mentioned perfume as a middle thing between the women and the prayer and they say the reason is because perfume is a sort of barzakh it's an interspace between this world and the next world because men and women we exist in this physical world right mm-hmm. which comes to an end it's a sensory world So perfume has a connection with the sensory. Yes. Because you put on perfume to beautify yourself, which is an outward thing. It's 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 an outward thing. You have beauty, you have a body, you know, you have beautiful clothes and you want to beautify yourself more and smell good. Mm. And it's also used in in attraction as well. Scent. So it ties with this world because it's a sensory thing. Yes. But perfume and real perfume which uh is really natural has a connection with a next world which is the unseen world which is why he mentioned it in the middle because the the prayer has to do with the unseen right it has to do with the akhirah you pray because Allah commands it 
and that has an effect obviously in this world but in the akhirah because the akhirah is long lasting right so he mentions perfume in the middle because it has a connection with this world because it's a worldly thing uh, it will end with the world but in the next world we also have perfume wow so it's a thing of this world and the next world and it's uh, it has a sensory dimension because of attraction you write and people smell it but it has also an inward spiritual dimension in that when you smell certain raw materials they actually put you into a spiritual ecstasy spiritual state which is why you find in in all the religions that have a, a culture or tradition of uh, of remembrance of allah or of uh meditation they always burn oud frankincense myrrh because these things have a connection with the heart uh-huh. and in the heart is a special receptor that's made specifically for perfume that when you smell perfume it it it, it triggers it goes into the receptor of this heart of yours and it causes you to have a ecstasy spiritual ecstasy which is why the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned it in the middle amazing i remember now you talk now you're saying this i remember speaking to dr muhammad qasim yes who is a, an expert in traditional medicines yes. chinese medicine oh, wow. um cold peppers herbal medicine <laughs> okay yeah there's, yeah. A, there's a there's a number of 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 uh, unani medicine oh, wow. he's he's a master of of the old traditional medicines yes and i remember sitting with him and asking him what to take mm. for inspiration mm-hmm. you know writing or creativity or whatever and he answered smells allah he said like Uh, and he i can't remember the exact smells that he mentioned but he was talking about using essential oils yes. because it's the smells trigger part of your sensory receptors yes that are not conscious yeah they're not conscious you know and again i think and I, i'd like to kind of you to maybe go a little bit further into the connection between sense mm. and memory mm. because i know for sure like you're walking down the street yeah. and you smell this one woman's perfume yes. and it takes you back to that girlfriend that used to wear that immediately or you know you 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 smell the air yes. i mean i remember actually happened this happening to me in zimbabwe yeah where we were driving along the highway into the countryside into yeah. the mountains yes. and i put the window down yeah and there was a smell there was a the crisp air and the smell of the forest yeah. that you know as we're driving past just went you know like rushed into my nose and immediately i was back in scotland Whoa. in my childhood yeah so that whatever the smell was of the forest in zimbabwe the trees or whatever it was was like almost identical Whoa. to the smell of growing up and going to the forest in in scotland, scotland yeah. but it was immediate i was yeah. there i yes. was i was back in scotland it was, it was very um even spiritual it was like it was a, back to my childhood it was yeah, a but, very deep connection there yeah Yeah I mean it has a uh, um spiritual aspect but it also it's, it's linked to memory because uh for instance I'll give you an example there's a certain perfumer Peter who I mentioned earlier that oh, yeah, uh, yeah on YouTube yeah that basically introduced me to perfumery without knowing it he said he had a bad experience as a boy at the dentist mm. he was extracting a tooth and it's very traumatic or most of us have had our teeth extracted yeah, yeah. and he said when he got home his mother put clove oil 
on his tooth because the pain was coming back, you know, after the anesthetics wore off. So she put clove, you know, to take the pain away. And every time he may, uh, he smells a perfume that's got clove, it takes him back to that traumatic memory of him it's as a child. Bad memory as well. So whatever memory that you have in a certain time and you smell a certain thing, whenever you smell that, uh, that smell, it will trigger this memory because there is a strong connection between scent and memory. And it immediately takes you back, you know, just like you said, you're transported and you remember everything. You see the picture of it because of the smell. It's basically timeless, you could sort of say. We mentioned that hadith. Yeah. Then we also know the practice of going to Juma, going to Eid. You, you put on your best clothes yes. and you put on your best perfume. There's, something, there's a thing in the deen. And for me personally, I have a, a very strong curiosity yes. with... The empires of the Muslim history, yes. for example, the Mughals or the Ottomans, when you talk about sensuality, yes. sensuality yes. In, in, in the meaning of the word, the senses, you look at Mughal cuisine, mm-hmm. it was the, the best food. You look at the, the Mughal art, it was the, the highest art, the architecture. And sensuality was a part of the culture it was yeah. it was intrinsic to court life yes of course you know and if you take the emperor you read about the 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 emperor's table and the emperor's cuisine mm. it was chock-a-block full of fruits and nuts yes. and all of these things which were aphrodisiacs yes 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 now for the, given the fact that in islam we we put perfume on to go to the mosque given the fact that we we know that the prophet loved perfume and that you had the height of culture and society in these great Muslim empires, there must have been a very strong perfume market or perfume, like artisanal perfumery. Yes, yes, yes. Does that knowledge still exist? And if it does exist, is it accessible? I mean, it does exist. It does exist. In fact, uh, even some... Um, there are people which I, I I suspect I don't know for a fact, okay, that can make certain perfumes that existed in that time. However, it's very difficult to access it myself because it's also the language, because you speak about the moguls and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you go into the ancient texts, I am very certain that in there you'd find formulas to make certain perfumes. Mm-hmm. However, the perfumers, perfumery, as I established before in the beginning, is very secretive. So a perfumer is not going to give you his formulas because he doesn't want you to replicating it and then now selling it. Okay. So now with the Mughals and stuff, they would have these texts, you know, I mean, these uh, formulas that they made for, let's say, maybe for Oranzeb. I'm sure he had a perfumer. Because the English also had their own perfumers, like mm-hmm. uh, Henry VIII, I think he had uh, a perfumer, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And uh, and then he would make a specific perfume for him, mm-hmm. just that one perfume. So he'd have the formula, but he wouldn't like, release it to the general public. Of course. But he'd give you a rough idea, to make such a perfume, you need to do this and this. So I'm sure with the Mughals and them, they do have texts which show how to make certain formulas, certain perfumes. You know, that would be worn around that time, you know. But then there are actual formulas they wouldn't uh, release to other people. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. But I mean, there was a, a strong uh, culture of perfumery. I mean, it's the highest. These people ate the highest food, you know. 
I mean, they, they, they had very high culture. So, I mean, they would have perfume. Because perfume is an ancient thing. It's not a modern yeah. thing. However, in their case, it would have been perfume oils. Like sandalwood, I'm sure. Because the best sandalwood comes from India. From okay. a region called Mysore. Mysore. M-Y-S-O-R-E. That's the highest quality of sandalwood. And they would mix it with certain spices and embers and things like that. I don't know the perfect formulas uh, myself, but I can make something oriental, you know, mm. that I imagine would have smelt in that time. But if I had a formula, I would be able to replicate it. Yeah, like do these formulas or recipes exist? Can you? You'd have to go into, if you understand the language, I'm sure you'd have to read the text and you would find something in there. You mentioned to me earlier the the story of the Spartans getting ready for the Battle of Thermopylae. And I'd like you to share that story. The Battle of Thermopylae was a battle between the the Greeks and the Persians. Any uh, able general and any soldier knows uh, knows when they're going to lose a battle, you know. Mm. Because, I mean, it's going to last hours. You, 300 of you, well, 311 to be uh, more specific with 6,000 other warriors from other Greek city-states can't hold off an army of well, they say a million maybe 500,000 you know in a narrow pass you know for 10 days 12 days so it's not possible so what these men did before the battle is that they started to shower you know to strip obviously and then started to bathe you know mm-hmm. grooming their hair you know their beards and they would put oil on their bodies olive oil and they put scented oil onto their hairs to groom themselves. Each and every man did that. Mm-hmm. To groom himself, to prepare himself to meet his death in honor and smelling good. Mm. And so like that, they went into the battle and then they fought the Persians and then they lost. But the key thing, they perfumed, they perfumed themselves. Every culture had perfume. Mm. I mean, the the Khoisan, the sun people of Africa, they also had a perfume. This red thing that you see them uh, rubbing onto their skins. Yeah. There's a red colored, uh, sort of like, it's almost like a, a powder. Right. It's actually scented. It's got myrrh and some other things in it, yes. So, I mean, all these cultures had perfumery. Because perfume, if I understand it, one of the scholars of the deen, you know, one of the historians, I don't know if it's Ibn Kathir or whatever, says actually perfume comes from one of the prophets. I can't remember which one. But that's where the science of actually making perfume came from. Wow. It came from one of the prophets. Just like martial arts, somebody told me that uh, martial arts also came from a certain prophet. I can't remember his name. Amazing. Certain Nabi of Allah, yes. But I mean, it's what you said at the beginning of the uh, the inspiration of it. It comes from somewhere. Comes where from does somewhere. the inspiration come from? Exactly. Yeah. None other than Allah. <laughs> right? Yes. So how do you choose a perfume? Uh, basically, it's like I would meet you today, mm. you know, and something would just tell me, oh, okay. I'd just be inspired by this podcast and i say, mm, this podcast, let me make a perfume based on this podcast, you know. They're coming into Abdullah's house. I smell freshness of the house. I went outside. I smelled jasmine. So, oh, okay. So my, the perfume will have bergamot. It's fresh. So I'll add bergamot to the top note. And middle note, I'll add uh, jasmine. Because I saw jasmine and I'll add certain other flowers, green flowers. And you have a bookshelf. It's got wood. So I'll put sandalwood, maybe a touch of wood. I saw your kitchen as well. Mm-hmm. I'll put, probably put a spice like uh, cardamom. 
do you know this is going to smell nice or is this just a no, it's, it's it's experience i know already it's going to smell nice because of experience i know what ratios already in my mind i'm going to put the different raw materials in and i know that i'll make them all smell like one perfume but with all these different dimensions however to get it to its perfection i may get it right the first time which happens really like if i make 20 perfumes two of them will smell perfect from the start but normally it's a process where you have to make build it and then break it down then build it because what happens is age takes place when you make a perfume you'll make a perfume right and it will smell very good the first day second day the first week and it will start to change because the raw materials interact with each other mm. and one overtakes the other and you say oh no but this is going against the idea that i have you know, I came to the podcast, I had the idea that this would be the structure of the perfume, but now this is making me think of being in the woods. So now you have to break that down and then rebalance it again until you get it stable. And that takes three months, six months, a year, two years as a perfume that's taking me three years to make. Crazy. Yeah, based on that. So, and other times I just get inspiration. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd, I'd just be inspired to make a perfume that smells like uh, a rainforest. Or something like that so my inspiration comes from different things you know sometimes i'd read a book sometimes i think oh you know what i'm very interested in in the aztecs and the inca let me make a perfume of what i think would have smelled like to live in that time oh wow okay, okay so these people actually burned incense ah okay i'll take myrrh i'll take copal copal which is a a sort of a resin like a myrrh but from from the americas yeah and they actually used to burn it the incas and aztecs as perfume okay i'd use incense wood because it's a specific kind of wood that smells like incense mm. so i want to mimic them you know like shamans making this concoction out of incense to make the people smell to go into a, a dmt like state because right. they, these people did DMT and all these other things. So that would have smelled like that. Plus the rainforest, it had pine trees. So I'll put pine into this perfume. So that's how I make it. Oh, fascinating. So, okay. So. And I have such a perfume. It's called Mesoamerica. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's based <laughs> on the Aztecs and Inca. And so that's your physical representation of how you imagine. Imagine it would have smelled like, life would have smelled like then. Yeah. So can you can you create a smell for the Muslim hero? I'm sure I can. Like, in fact, I was. <laughs> it's like you read my mind. I was going to make one based on a certain uh, shogun in Japan called Ieyasu Tokugawa. He's the one that unified Japan. I was going to make a perfume imagining how he would have smelled like. Okay. And I was going to make one basically for Alexander the Great because he's my favorite of the heroes. Oh. And I was going to call it Alexander. Okay. Out of curiosity, you know you're, you're the Japanese guy that you were talking about? That you're uh, creating uh, a yeah, Tokugawa Iyasu. Is there any metal metallic twang to it? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to put metallic. No, because when you were saying it, I was just thinking of swords. Because of the sword. Yeah, so, like, like blood and metal and just like war. Actually, Mesoamerica, the perfume that I made based on the Aztecs and in, in the Inca, mm. the color of the perfume is red because of the bloodshed and it's got uh it's got a smokiness because of, in war ancient times there's stuff burns mm. okay trees burn mm. and then it's got a slightly metallic uh smell to it because of the swords and the guns 
Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. So that's what I did. So with Ieyasu, it would be woody because Japan is known for its uh, scented, this wood called hinoki. It's yeah. wood that's used in the temples everywhere, which is a wood, but it has a citrusy smell. And then I would probably put an animalic uh, material like what's called castorium comes from the uh, Canadian beaver. Oh, wow. There's a certain sack that has a very nice animalic leathery smell. Mm. I would put it in there to simulate, you know, like to give a... To, to mimic a horse, the scent of a horse. Mm. And then I'll put other things in there, which are specifically Japanese. That is a beautiful smell. The smell of the sweat of a horse. Yeah. That's a very unique smell. It's not disgusting. Sweetness to it, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's also moist and, and damp. And, and, and animatic. Yeah, but, and you know why? It's because now you've gone deeper, so you have more experience. Your olfactory uh, library has increased. You smelt this thing. And now you can smell, on, not on a surface level, you can really smell the heart of the perfume. Somebody else would smell that horse and say, oh, this thing stinks. Mm. And that's the thing with perfumery. On the topic of scent, perfumery, anything else that comes to your head? Anything else? Like just just your, any kind of curiosities that you've come across on your journey? Or... What I have found is this thing, you know, it's human nature, I mean, and it is biology. There are certain things which are masculine, certain things that are feminine. But I find uh, I mean, a lot of us, even traditional perfumers, find it's actually with perfumery, it's very hard to make a clear distinction between feminine and uh, masculine sense. You see, I'll give you an example. For instance, women in the West hate the smell of oud. Because it's dense, they say it's heavy. I mean, obviously, they don't have a long culture of using oud, but mm. they find it heavy and very masculine. However, in the East, the Arabian women like heavy, dense ouds. On so, the men or on themselves? On themselves, mm. they wear heavy ouds. But the men, Arabian men, love rose and florals. However, men in the West shun on rose. You know, they say, oh, rose perfume. No, I can't wear it. So now, mm. classifying perfumes into masculine and uh, feminine is very difficult because what's masculine for one culture, one group of people, is feminine to others, you see. Mm -hmm. But there are, because a lot of people that love perfume as well, they say that have a deeper understanding, they'll use a perfume which is classified as feminine, although they're men, or women will use a, a perfume that's masculine. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's classified as masculine, although they're women, you know, because it comes down to personal preference and uh, what you said, subjectivity mm. you see so you can't and uh, they say that perfumes are made into male and female because of marketing you know mm. that's why it's just marketing you know however there are certain scents with that again we're breaking rules again when you smell them you'd really associate them with a feminine nature mm -hmm. however again when you put it on as a man the chemical reactions happen and it may change so yeah. so that's what i found that to classify, it's very hard to classify things in perfumery. And which is why I like this traditional part of perfumery. Because you break all these rules, you know. Because mm. life is fluid, you know. There are certain things which are norms, which are established, which are that way. But there's a lot of fluidity as well. Nice. Yeah, so it's very hard to be structural and remain in the structure, you know. Things change and they move. And then also, again, just on the sense of smell and like as a sense... Anything, any kind of oddities or just kind of curiosities from you? Yeah, yeah, there's something that I thought of early, actually. Have you ever noticed sometimes if you're in the kitchen cooking, 
Yeah. You smell the spices, the food cooking. And in a short space of time, you cannot smell anymore. Yeah. You can't smell anything anymore. Or a perfume, you put it on, you smell it. And you think it's gone, you can't smell it. And people yes, walk yes, past yes. you and say, oh, you smell so good. Mm. There's a term for that. It's called anosmia. Okay. It basically means that your brain gets tired of smelling the smell. So it shuts, it shuts down your olfactory... Uh, olfactory uh yes exactly system so it's still there you're smelling it but it's it's not triggering in your brain you know Mm -hmm. so you don't smell it but other people that come into contact with you smell it it's a thing that happens it's called anosmia now the way to treat anosmia with perfumes because sometimes you you put on your perfume and you can't smell it at all Mm -hmm. what you do is that you go outside get fresh air Come back inside and you'll smell it. And if you don't smell it, what you do is you leave your perfume for about three, four days. Your olfactory system resets. And then you put it on and then you can smell it again. It's, it's called uh, anosmia and it's, it's because of olfactory fatigue. Yeah. So even with your cooking, when you cook and you can't smell it anymore, if you go outside and you come back in, you'll be able to smell it again. Because it's the sensory overload of the smell. And scent and sex? Oh yeah, I was going to say something that somebody taught me. He said, when you're with your wife, what you do, you take jasmine, you put it in between the collarbones, her collarbones. It makes magic. Thank you once again for listening to this episode. The ayat that Ikramadin mentioned, so which of your Lord's blessings do you deny? That was such an eye-opener for me. I mean, it really highlighted how just by scratching the surface of the world of perfumery and scent, it starts to open a door onto a whole other world of knowledge. And that's whether you're looking at it from the angle of science, the angle of art, or just looking at it from the perspective of pure inspiration. And from recording this episode, I'm very excited to announce that Igramadine has agreed to make a perfume in collaboration with the podcast, which... I think it's particularly cool. So now we're going to have a smell to go alongside this journey. Now, Ikramadine's perfume house, Parfums Ikram, will be launching at the end of December with an artisanal and a niche range of perfumes. If you want to find out more, you can follow the links in the episode description to the Parfums Ikram website and the relevant social media accounts. Since we touched on one of the senses in this episode, in the following episodes I want to explore the other senses, with the next one being specifically taste and the importance of the table. And as I close off another episode, I'd like to personally ask you to please share this podcast with at least two people that you think would really appreciate it. And of course, subscribe, follow, write a review if you haven't, Thank you.